Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We're back from our one-week hiatus, and uh, Robert Craig is not with us. He is um, in Chicago at a People's Action uh, Board Convention, although we will have Robert on for a segment to talk about a new health care plan released this week. We'll get into that later. But Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is with us this week. Rebecca, good to have you. Good to be here, Matt. So we have a number of things we're going to talk about. Um, but we want to start by talking about elections and fair elections and gerrymandering in, in particular. And we are joined. We have a special guest to have this conversation, Sachin Chetta. Sachin Chetta is not only a member of Citizen Action, he is uh, heads up the Fair Elections Project. Sachin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks uh, for being here, Rebecca. Looking forward to it. So, Sachin, we, um, we agreed to have you on a couple weeks ago to talk about the exciting the legislation that around uh, trying to get fair maps here and a, re, a fair redistricting process a couple weeks ago, and then um, uh, hooked you up to come on this week, and then this week more news broke with the Republicans around redistricting and potentially trying to do an end around Governor Evers. So I'm going to kick it to you. Um, tell us, obviously these things are incredibly connected, so uh, tell us both about the legislation, but we also want to talk about what the, what the uh, Republicans could be up to. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of action on this front. Uh, obviously, <clears throat> as I think regular listeners uh, will remember, we filed a lawsuit four years ago to try to get the current map thrown out for violating people's rights. And we did get a federal court to say the map was unconstitutional. But unfortunately, about a month ago, the Supreme Court ruled in a related case, in a case with a similar fact set and legal theory out of North Carolina, that they weren't going to address gerrymandering at all. So we have to really turn our attention to two things. One is, uh, what is the process that we can use to change the rules in Wisconsin uh, in order to make the map drawing more fair? And to that end, we introduced legislation, reintroduced legislation, uh, this time uh, sponsored again by Senator Hanson and by Representative Vining of uh, Wauwatosa, uh, to uh, change the process by how we draw maps. And then at the same time, we have to look ahead to the next round of redrawing, uh, which will happen in 2021 when the census is done. And uh, it, it, it seems that the Republicans are conspiring to try to rig the maps again, even though traditionally in Wisconsin and by the law, the governor has to participate in the redrawing, has to sign off on the redrawing, they're apparently going to try to go around that by getting the state Supreme Court to say that the governor doesn't have a, a role in the redrawing process, even though that's how it's been done uh, for all of Wisconsin state history. And so that news was made. They deny they're even considering doing this, but they don't actually deny that they would do it if they could. And so we're trying to get them on the record to say either, nope, they refuse to do this end around and uh, – and they'll follow the rules as they're in place now, or to admit that they're going to try to rig the process again. And I think that pressure is uh, coming to them from the media and from people who want to know what their plans are. So, yeah, talk more about that pressure and trying to get them on the record. So the, the goal is to get them to just state one way or the other in the press or in some kind of other like formal proceeding what their intentions are so we could respond or like what, what is the plan? 
So this news just broke a couple of days ago. And so I think there is some uh, good conversation happening amongst allies about what the strategy should be as it relates to the, you know, kind of getting them on the record. I think the short term thing is they should at least answer the question. Right. Uh, they the news was broken. And, and one of their uh, allies in the legal community, this guy named Rick Eisenberg, who, who leads a lot of uh, conservative right wing um, you know, lawsuits where they try to have their activist judges on the right change the law to meet their needs. Uh, and he was out there. He kind of admitted, yeah, this is an idea that's out there. They would basically overturn, you know, decades and decades of precedent and say this time the legislature can redraw the maps without the governor having to sign off. Obviously, because the maps are already rigged, they are pretty confident that, and they should be confident that they're going to have majorities after the next election. And so they would get to draw the maps and, and bake in their majorities for another 10 years, just like they did in this decade. And so I think we, we you know, they can't have it both ways. They can't say we're not going to talk about what we're going to do and then leave open this option that they're going to try to rig it uh, in the Supreme Court. And so what we're just trying to do is say, look, if you're if you're really not going to try to do this, then say you're not going to try to do it. Don't use double talk. Don't say, oh, it's not being talked about. It's not being considered. But say, no, you think that that strategy would be unconstitutional. And so far, they've just avoided media questions from the Associated Press, from the Wisconsin Examiner on that very point. Yeah, I mean, look, and this is a fundamental question. We just went through a budget process where, you know, I mean, obviously there were certain improvements over what we experienced under Governor Walker that we can certainly thank Governor Evers for, but um, this this was a product of a total gerrymandered process and the, the, the budget and the inability uh, to get the legislature to even budge on a, a number of fundamental and core issues to immediately have this out there. I, I think this is actually, I agree with you, Sachin. This is a critical question that needs to be answered. Um, and it speaks to just basic sort of fairness and democracy in terms of, you know, who's going to be picking these maps. And unfortunately, we saw this with the with the lame duck special session there, we, we should not, they, they should not be given any benefit of the doubt that they would somehow not go, go about this process. And it seems to me, I, I forget his name, Eisen, uh, Eisenberg, it seemed to back down like he was much more sure of himself in the original uh, piece and then seemed to back down, I'm sure, under tons of pressure. But this would not shock me at all if this is where they're headed. Um, for our listeners, what would you suggest people if they wanted to get involved? Like, how what what would you be suggesting that they do right now? Is there anything that they can do? Um, should they be contacting, um, you know, the the speaker's office or uh, the leadership's office? What what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, look, absolutely, you know, public pressure, calling your legislators, writing letters to the editor saying, you know, don't rig the maps again. That's important, and I think a lot of our Fair Maps Coalition members are going to put action alerts out there. Uh, so people can do that online and they can do it, you know, they can do it in, in local community meetings. Let me let me say one thing about what you just said is this pattern of rigging the system is consistent and the pattern of being dishonest about it. You can go back to, you know, Scott Walker promising that they wouldn't pass right to work. It wouldn't get to his desk. And then they passed it. Uh, and then, you know, you have uh, 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 the election doesn't go their way and they pass these lame, lame duck rules. Uh, and, and they get the court to sign off on these lame duck rules, changing the power structure after there's an election. Uh, obviously, they rigged the maps for the last decade. That was rigging the system. Now, in fact, there's a new lawsuit that's been announced where they want to overturn Tony Evers' vetoes 
the same veto power that uh, Governor Thompson used, the same veto power Governor Walker used. Now Governor Evers is using it, the exact same veto power, and they're going to file a lawsuit. And not only are they filing a lawsuit, but they want to skip the trial. They want to skip the appellate court. They want to go state to, uh, directly straight to the state Supreme Court because they know that they're – They've got the state Supreme Court kind of rigged right now. It's really going to point to how important the state Supreme Court race is going to be in April, that we have to you know, get rid of Scott Walker's appointee, Machine Gun Kelly, uh, and focus on uh, getting someone who's really concerned with the rule of law. Their judges are the activist judges. Their legislators are the ones who rig the system, uh, and we've got to do something about it. What's really interesting to me is the parallel of what they're doing in Wisconsin around the lines with what's happening right now in Michigan. And for listeners who don't know, in Michigan, voters passed overwhelmingly, I think over 60 percent of the vote to uh, in a statewide referendum to have an independent redistricting commission. They also have very gerrymandered lines. And folks might remember that this went up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court chose to pass on doing anything about it, said it's it's not an issue for them to decide such and could could correct me if I'm not being exactly precise, but part of what Justice um, Robert Kelly, um, sorry, Justice Roberts mentioned is that uh, they have this referendum and this independent commission coming up, and that is like the basis in part on which the Republicans won, and now they're trying to get rid of that independent commission that was cited by the the Supreme Court. So it's just like really interesting parallel strategies, and it's really insidious, I think. Here's what it comes down to. These leaders in Wisconsin, these legislative leaders who are there, not because they get a majority of the vote, but because they rigged the maps, want to rig the system at every turn. And if they lose a fair fight, if they lose an election and someone else gets elected, they want to undermine that election to get their way. They will stop at nothing to hold and maintain power. Uh, and they're not concerned with democracy. They're not concerned with the will of the people, whether it's on specific issues like funding schools and bringing Medicaid uh, to more people uh, and funding our road system, or whether it's on who holds the reins of power. And it's really, it undermines the American experiment, right? We're here because we say the will of the people matters. We didn't want King George to be in charge, right? Over the course of 250 years of American history, we've included more people in our democracy, more men, uh, more women, more people of color, and they don't care. They want, you know, if it was up to them, only their voters would have the right to vote, um, and they would just exclude everyone else, and that's their goal uh, it's really insidious. I think that's exactly the right word. It is very 1984 Orwellian because they want to maintain power at any cost. And we have to challenge them. We can't let them get away with any piece of this. Well, Suchin, we got to take a break coming up here. But before we do, first of all, we want to thank you for coming on and educating our listeners and encouraging them. Please get involved. Contact your legislators. Feel free to call the leadership's office on this. Uh, stay engaged. But Suchin, we want to thank you for your leadership on this issue. You have been involved in a multiple facets of, of approaches to going at this and continue to. And so we really appreciate it. It's gone from a niche kind of issue that uh, progressives and other folks talked about to something that is now really starting to get into the political uh, debate and uh, could become an election issue. And so we really appreciate all your work on it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, check out the website at fairmapswi.com and find us on social media uh, at Fair Elections. And uh, looking forward to talking more about this in coming months. Check them out, folks. we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org.
Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank Sachin Chetta for joining us last last hour, talking about basically the abuse of power uh, and abuse of democracy that the Republicans have been involved in with um, gerrymandering. And that takes us to our next topic, which is um, also really, quite frankly, I think just sort of kind of an extension of that abuse of power of, of Voss. Uh, and this is about Speaker Voss. And uh, the story that broke this week about him refusing to make accommodations for State Representative Jimmy Anderson, for listeners who you know maybe are on vacation, haven't been tracking this, um, it's been getting a lot of press. Jimmy Anderson, I think most of our listeners know, uh, is paralyzed and is in a wheelchair. He was uh, in a drunk driving accident uh, that killed family members. Um, and he has overcome that, has become a... a a fantastic state representative, amazing on healthcare. We work a lot with him, actually, and think a lot of him. But this week, Voss, it came out that Voss has refused to let him um, participate in committee meetings via phone or video phone or in some way um, when he can't make it because of his situation. Um, and so, Rebecca, just wanted to get your thoughts, obviously, and just, you know, by the way, it's not sure whether uh, he's going to sue or not, but um, there appears to be a damn good case, that he's got a very good case. Um, the big stick, stickler question is ADA applies to an employee, and he's not 100% sure whether he's technically an employee, even though I'm, I'm sure he's, you know, he's getting paid by the state. Rebecca? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think it does look like from what experts are saying that he has a strong legal case um, about, you know, violation of his rights, um, you know, under federal laws and employee. But like it is a little unclear. I'm not a lawyer, um, but he certainly has what um, Barbara Quindell, employment law um, specialist and lawyer said, a strong moral case. I mean, it just seems yeah. so outrageous. And, um, you know, the the response that they gave was like flippant and uh just like not sincere, like, oh, there are people who drive six hours and he actually lives in Dane County, but he is paralyzed. And it's just like not, that's just very like, uh, you know, rude and like outrageous kind of response to that. So I, what is curious to me is why they're going, doing this rule change. Um, I don't think that it's just to exclude, you know, one representative, but um, certainly does and he should be accommodated and it's not fair. But it's, I wonder why they're doing this. It's weird. Vo you brought up Voss's response. It was terrible, right? Like, he was mean and, and petty in, in his, his initial response on this. I think they might be slightly changing their tone, given the public response. But, um, yeah, tried to suggest, oh, Jimmy Anderson voted for this in 2017 when we voted not to allow video chats for committee hearings. He's like, I was there for, like, a month, and I hadn't, you know, and really thought of all the full implications, right? But, you know, uh, it just, it seems, good point, Senate allows this. The Senate will allow you to use a phone, um, but why not the Assembly, especially given this guy's situation, right? The Assembly's just pointing basically to their right to have their own rules and to essentially be pig-headed, uh, even though this guy has a clear exception that would make him incredibly different than just about every other member of us could point out. This is, um, I don't know, it just, it's more really small, petty, power-hungry kind of stuff, almost like they want, yeah, if we could just exclude another Democrat or something. It's just unbelievable well, to me. Well, and, like, the problem with such an ableist rule 
yeah. is that we are excluding not only this representative, but like other potential future leaders from participating, you know, in at this level of government. And I think it's something that we talk about in different ways with different with anyone who's not like an able-bodied white male, right? And so I remember like years ago there were conversations about how there was no women's bathrooms in on the floor of I think it was the house, but like it's certainly like in the New York City Council I remember there was no women's bathroom on the floor and um, you know they have like now like constructed to like include restrooms and like where are women breastfeeding and like can you bring babies on the floor and like so obviously that's not the same thing it's very different but like kind of this larger theme of just as Sachin mentioned in the last segment that there's like a group of people in power, namely Republicans who are trying to exclude people at the ballot box, they also are not keen to allow people who are not able-bodied white men from participating at the level of being elected officials, I think. Yeah, it, it, you also brought up, it just seems odd, it, it seems odd given that we're increasingly in a day and age where there is technology that's solid and available that could allow a person to participate without physically being there and participate fully, right? Like we use it a lot at Citizen Action since we have organizers all over the state and use a lot of the new video teleconferencing technology and think it's critically important to like to increase the quality of that conversation. And those conversations are actually quite good. and given his specific situation and disability, right? Like, it's just shocking to me. But, um, look, it's just hopefully hopefully this gets resolved on the side of democracy. But we just wanted to make sure it brought up and folks are aware. Um, maybe maybe we'll have Representative Anderson on another time. I, I'm hoping he will uh, get get this fixed. Um, but we, we are going to switch topics and move to the presidential Um this is a big week for the presidential primary. Um, later in the show, Robert's going to come on and we're going to talk about um, candidate Harris's newly announced health care plan, which has been much talked about um, because it was unclear she had gone back and forth. So we'll talk more about that. But there was a huge debate, first, the first of the second wave of debates um, happened last night. We're recording Wednesday. And this, the second one will be tonight. But Rebecca, just want to get your thoughts. I'll just throw out there. I was struck by the setup of the debate, and I'll frame this, this conversation. Um, it seemed to me like they put Warren and Sanders next to each other, right in the center, as sort of like, okay, here are the two left flanks of the party, and we're going to give every sort of random bit candidate an opportunity to fire off on them um, and go after what what clearly are the two standard bearers of the left, as, as we've seen in, in their policies. Um, I'm not so sure it worked. I actually think they both did very well, and Warren in particular, but want to get your thoughts on, on the debates and any other, and we could talk about any other things related to the presidential, uh, Democratic presidential primary. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big takeaways, um, one of the reasons why that didn't work is because both um, Senator Sander and Senator Warren are like very disciplined and they have been incredibly keen on not attacking each other. And that discipline showed last night. I mean, they both uh, work together on quite a number of issues and are allies and they didn't take the bait. 
And I thought that was really interesting. Another thing that's kind of in the same vein of what you just mentioned was the moment where, who was it, Jake Tapper, who was the moderator? Yep, yep. Um, at, you know, tried to ask Sanders, well, how are you and Trump any different on foreign policy? Because you both say <laughs> no more foreign wars, I think was it's it. It's just... I would, yeah. and, and Senator Sanders' response was great, which is like, he is a pathological liar and I tell the truth. But just because two people say we shouldn't have foreign wars doesn't right. mean they are the same on foreign policy. And yes. by the way, I think that... President Trump is probably trying to provoke war uh, in the context of this election. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We've had that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, I Some other thoughts, uh, you know, obviously uh, both Senator Sander and Senator Warren performed well in different ways. And you kind of brought this up in terms of their very different demeanors, um, but it worked for uh, them both last night. Um, and I think they were quick and they were sharp and they, you know, hit back. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah. They made avid, as a progressive, it was great to see avid, really effective defense of progressive ideas, left ideas, right? And, and you don't often hear that. You often hear backpedaling or soft selling of them. And there was none of that, right? I would argue, I thought Warren did a better job of connecting with what m people might sort of call called core American values or narrative um, in defense of it, whereas Bernie was just really feisty in, in a very, I would also say effective way. I think a lot of his base will really like what Bernie had to say, especially the, you know, I wrote the damn bill, right? Like that. That's vintage Bernie Sanders. That was great. That was great. Vintage. He also had the, the <laughs> meme-worthy moment where they're like, oh, don't raise your hand. Yeah. He's, he's like, I'll raise my hand. Yeah, yeah. No, it... So, I, but, you know, I, I thought one of the best moments was when Warren basically said, look, what? why are you running for president, right? If you're just going to essentially defend the status quo and basically say we need a little bit of marginal difference, right, like than what we're experiencing... When there's these amazing, you know, challenging, amazing ideas out there that are ex energizing people, are growing the party, have the potential also to grow the base of who shows up to this election, which should matter if you're, if you're sort of myopically only concerned about, quote, who can beat Trump, right, is if it requires someone in the center to win automatically um, and not someone who actually energizes people with their ideas and their values and their commitment as a leader. Um, and I, I, I felt like she encapsulated all that in one sentence. It was kind of like, why'd you come here to tell us what the limitations are? That was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it actually reminded me of an organizing director at SEIU who used to get really upset at organizers and more particularly lawyers who would, who would come and tell them what they couldn't do. And he's like, what am I paying you for? He was a Southern guy. What am I paying you for? Why don't you tell me what I can do? You know, like, let's, let's talk about what we can do here as a democracy. So anyways, more thoughts, Rebecca, in terms of, oh, sorry, you know what? We got to go. Good point. We're going to talk more about this and some other, other topics here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Hi, welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action, and we are talking about the Democratic presidential primary, and in particular, the debates. Uh, we were recording Wednesday, so the first section of debates has occurred. The second debate will be occurring tonight, but Rebecca, you had some more thoughts about the debate. 
Yeah, I just, um, you had mentioned a great moment that uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren had vis-a-vis uh, John Delaney. I think that was, uh, I think that's the guy, yeah. Yeah, um, and th- that was pretty incredible. And another moment that was also with him, he got a question about how he felt about Senator Warren's wealth tax, given that he is so wealthy. That's and she kind of like rubbed her hands together yeah, like yeah, she was yeah, excited yeah. to answer it. Yeah. So they were, she, she and Bernie were very fun last night. So if you didn't catch the debate, I'm sure you can get a montage of highlights, but highly recommend. And by the way, like if you were somebody who has always been sort of frustrated at the lack of feistiness of a sort of Democratic presidential candidate, those two had, it, they're very different versions of how you go about it, but like they showed you, like, it ain't gonna, it'll be different with, with if you select me, I will not just stand there and go, oh, President Trump, there you go again, right? You know, no, there's gonna be, not only there will there be forceful going after you, there'll be an actual vision, a real vision that stands in sharp contrast, which I think is really critically important. Yeah, so, I yeah mean, and I want to I want I, I want to throw it back to you to talk about what Working Families Party is doing around this again and let people know because it's really important. We should be excited about all of this excite, excitement that is going on around this presidential primary. So tell us more. Yeah, okay. totally. It's it's a good segue actually because one of the things I hate about these debates are how many candidates are on the stage and you actually can't get the, all the topics covered that I want to cover, and then any question answered really with substance, um, with sh- such a short amount of time, and the interruptions, and like the foolishness, and like everything that's happening. So um, we're excited about our process because we think that'll allow allow us to dig in a little bit deeper, and particularly on issues that are important to like a wide array of folks in the progressive movement. So. Uh, we've got, uh, for folks who don't know, we, we've narrowed it down to only six candidates. Notably, um, Biden is not a part of our process, um, but the candidates who are are um, simply invited to come have an interview and like be eligible to be voted for, but doesn't mean they get the endorsement. So it's certainly no like, progressive stamp of approval that they're in the process. Um, but the six that are, are going to be asked rigorous questions in our, in our interviews are uh, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Bill de Blasio, Cory Booker, and Julian Castro. And so they all filled out questionnaires, wanted to be a part of the process. They're moving forward now to the interviews, which anyone can watch. And you know, I certainly consider Citizen Action members part of WFP. If you if you choose to be a dues-paying member, there's like some like special ways to interact and whatnot. But anyone can participate as long as you affirm our values. So that means if if even if you're not a dues-paying WFP member yet. Um, certainly you can still vote. So like, keep an eye out for that. The vote will be in September. And you also can watch our interviews. And they're going to be live streamed on Facebook and uh, YouTube and some other platforms. We'll make sure to put links to yeah. both the videos. And then when there's vote, when you get the opportunity for people to participate, we'll have that on the podcast. We'll talk more about that actually when it happens too so yeah, yeah. it's gonna be great so they're yeah they're each they're all like an, an hour each they're moderated by either um, Nalini Stamp or Maurice Mitchell who are two people in leadership mm-hmm. in our organization um, and folks are gonna be able to ask questions so members have submitted questions I think maybe some people listening have um, if you get our emails you you've seen the link um, but members have submitted questions member organizations have have requested to ask questions and these are gonna be really interesting because they're gonna be hard-hitting questions some of them I mean, I think every candidate, even even the people that I like the most, still have things that I really need them to answer for. No candidate is perfect, you know? And I think, like, for example, I have a lot of questions for... I, 
I, listeners know that I like Senator Warren, but I have a lot of questions for her as it relates to foreign policy and yeah. a lot of concerns. And I think Bernie Sanders is tr- terrific. Um, and I, I would love to hear more from but him even, on race. Even you if know? he's just like Trump? <laughs> can't it's believe they like asked him that was so ridiculous it's like a that was like a kindergarten like <laughs> question it's like <laughs> yeah so watch the debates cheer on your faves uh boo the people you hate whatever it is that that gets you going but um th- that'll be interesting and, and it'll be an opportunity for us to have a whole hour just with one candidate and ask them real questions and get real responses so um a couple of them are set we haven't announced them yet but okay. um i can break some news on the pod since this comes out a couple yeah. days later um the Warren interview should be on the 13th of August and the Castro interview is on the 15th of August. And I believe Bernie is a couple days after that. There's just a couple details that we're still locking down today. So I hesitate to say a, a wrong date, but those three are, are pretty much done. So th- that'll be exciting and um, keep an eye out for that. I'll, I'll send it to you, Matt, so you can post it. Yeah. And we'll talk more about that as we go forward. I also want to remind listeners who are interested in going and seeing a, a live presidential forum that People's Action will be putting on in Iowa, in Des Moines, Iowa. It's on September 21st. Um, we will be announcing details possibly later this week, hopefully for sure by next week. About uh, We'd like to take at least 50 people to Des Moines. So if you're interested, uh, keep your calendar open. We'll be probably taking folks out on the 20th uh, and then there on the 21st and then coming back. So... Uh, but it'll be a forum where we'll really focus, similar to what Working Families Party is doing in these interviews, really trying to get our agenda out there, forcefully make sure that the candidates can test and discuss our ideas. So uh, if you're interested in that, please uh, put that on your calendar. Um, so with that, we do. Um, I, I, I do want to remind folks, in our next segment, we're going to have Robert Craig on, speaking of presidential candidates and Kamala Harris's uh, health care plan was released on Monday and Robert has digested it and he had cocktails with another person who had also digested it and they discussed it at great length last night so he's coming prepared to talk um, his thoughts on uh, her plan but 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 before we do that we have a little bit more time Rebecca to talk anything else you want around the presidential if you don't I have something around Governor Evers I'd like to talk about you got any uh, other things you want to talk about the presidential oh just that I'm really looking forward to talking more about Senator Harris um, in the weeks to come I think that I need to look into her a lot more Um, the things I know about her a lot of them are are not as positive and I want to make sure that I know all the positive things too but I'm looking forward to her debate performance tonight she's a great debater and I imagine she'll make some new yeah, that's. I'm super excited actually about that, and I, they've clearly set this up to have her and Biden go at it, right? Um, so we we shall see. Um, but we will probably be bringing back our um, where we spend a little more time with each one, and she will be next. Uh, so it'll probably be next week. I just got to confirm that Robert will be uh, will be here. Um, so hopefully we will have an in depth. But we'll start with uh, healthcare at, uh, after this break. All right, so before we go, though, I did want to mention some news that was announced actually today uh, by Governor Evers, uh, and it's around dealing with water pollution. We have talked a lot about CAFOs on the podcast, and actually next week, I believe we're going to have 
a member who, uh, from our Western Wisconsin co-op who's a leader in fighting CAFOs. Uh, and these are these huge corporate agricultural operations. And in a number of parts of the state, these are basically just massive dairy farms. And the pollution that these dairy farms produce is unbelievable. Like, I mean, one CAFO can produce as much pollution as like the city of Eau Claire. Um, and so it's a huge issue. There's been real problems, uh, protect, particularly during the Walker administration in terms of getting any kind of redress through the DNR. Uh, and then great restrictions on what could be done by counties in terms of how how they could really um, you know deal with with the CAFOs. Well, today it was announced that uh, uh, Governor Evers is going to make the DNR implement some new standards as it relates to water and in particularly the nitrates, right? And it's the nitrates from from the cows <laughs> uh, that uh, is really doing a lot of the damage. And this is uh, big news. In fact, I, I just want to quickly. Before we go, read a quote from uh, Carrie Schumann, who's with our really close ally over at Wisconsin Conservation Voters. Um, uh, Carrie had to say that the nitrate pollution uh, is contaminating drinking water supplies across Wisconsin. Long-term exposure to nitrates can lead to higher rates of colon cancer, stomach cancer, bladder cancer, diabetes, and thyroid conditions. And it's even fatal to infants. So we applaud Governor Evers for taking the next step to reduce this dangerous p pollution that makes it into the groundwater and our drinking water. So like, huge issue. Uh, I'm sure there's gonna be more on this. This has been one of the fights that was in the budget. So I'm sure uh, this is just a, another salvo in trying to really figure out a way uh, the governor can use his leverage to go and clean our water. But with that, we gotta take a break. Uh, we'll be back with Robert Craig to talk a little, uh, little health care. You're listening to Valdown, Wisconsin, with Citizen Action. Find us at citizenaction.wi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. And before the break, we mentioned that we were going to have Robert Craig, who uh, couldn't be with us for the whole show, but uh, is joining us to have a special conversation about Kamala Harris's healthcare plan, which was just released this week. And it, uh, it's gotten a lot of fanfare, in part, I'll say, because... There's a great deal of sort of questioning as to whether she was uh, truly still fully supporting Medicare for All, which she had done earlier in the campaign and in the last debate raised her hand, but uh, both times seemed to walk it back. So, Robert, thanks for joining us. We now have the details. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what, uh, what you have found in looking at uh, her, her health care plan. Yeah, I'm out, and I'm out at the People's Action Board Retreat and watched the debate with a whole lot of other movement leaders across the country. And so a lot of discussion of the, the healthcare debate dominating Medicare for All, the first part of the debate. But anyway, in the middle of all this, uh, Kamala Harris has finally come out with a healthcare plan after a lot of confusion as to what she was proposing. And it's, it's fascinating. We don't have all the details, Matt. I mean, it's a, it's a few pages on her website and then a whole lot of different coverage and speculation. But it is not Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All uh, plan at all. So, and it does not abolish private insurance. So her raising her hand and saying, I think two times in the campaign, she'd eliminate private insurance. Uh, that turns out she's come down on not doing that. 
He is, though, does have a very bold plan. It's a much bolder plan than Senator Biden is putting forward. It's not just a small public option on the Affordable Care Act uh, marketplace exchange. What it is is it's sort of Medicare and Medicare Advantage together for everyone. So the problem there or the challenge, and certainly the critique from from Medicare for All advocates, is, is that it keeps private insurance, but it makes it part of a regulated marketplace just like Medicare Advantage plans are. Now, on the plus side... Um, both employers and individuals that have access to something like regular Medicare, an improved Medicare plan that also fills in all the holes and gaps in current Medicare. Uh, so you have that. It is a plan where there is a lot of uh, uh, details on how to be financed, which is different than, uh, than some of the Medicare for All proposals that have been, that have been put forward in Congress anyway. Um, so that's, a, that's an advance. Uh, the critique, though, Matt, is that uh, serious questions about Medicare Advantage, which was the part the bringing of private insurance into Medicare as an option that George W. Bush started. The federal government pays more for those plans, so it costs us more money to pay for the insurance industry profits. There have been issues about whether insurance companies are overcharging the federal government on top of that dramatically. And then there was an inspector general's report that found that a lot of insurance companies on Medicare Advantage, and they use a lot of sales tactics to get seniors to sign up for it, but that they're illegally denying claims. They tend to grant the appeals, but a lot of seniors don't know they can appeal, and therefore they end up having claims that are completely rightful denied, and it seems to be part of an insurance industry practice. So it doesn't get rid of insurance companies the way a lot of people would like at a lot of their practices. And once you have them in the middle of a program, there's a question of whether they use their lobbying power over time to make it worse and worse. And so, but it does have the political advantage, some believe, uh, particularly in uh, more, more moderate Democrats, more moderate anyway so that, than, uh, than Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, uh, and, uh, and uh, the mayor of New York as well, who are the three uh, candidates who are strongly for Medicare for All right now. Uh, there's, a, there's obviously concern that this, is, that this is not really Medicare for All and that this plan will be... Uh, will be undermined by the healthcare industry over time. But on the other hand, it is a very, um, it, it is a universal healthcare plan. It, 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 and it is quite bold in a lot of ways. It's a much more fundamental restructure of the healthcare system than the Affordable Care Act was. Um, and the one other big critique, Matt, just so you know, is, is that it's a 10 year phase. And there's disagreement on that as well. Some people think the Affordable Care Act phase and the Affordable Care Act was less fundamental than this. Um, was too, was way too short. That you have a lot of disruption in the healthcare industry. On the other hand, it's beyond two terms. So, if you had a ten-year phase in the Affordable Care Act, of course, it would never have been fully phased in because Trump would have been president in the ninth year. Uh, and of course, it's not going to pass immediately. So, it's going to be probably three years into. Let's say it takes a year to pass. Three years into into another president's term. Robert. So it certainly has. It is an important development that such a plan is going to put forward, and the differences are important to think about. Robert, so a couple of things. One is, obviously, you mentioned that folks for Medicare for All, like Bernie Sanders, immediately went after and clarified that this is far from his proposal. Um, How does this compare to the Medicare for America plan or proposal that you have talked about, which 
you know, sets up an extremely strong public option uh, for, for Medicare. It's, a, it's in that direction. There seem to be key differences, but it's actually something I need to study a little more. Um, it was my recollection, and, you know, there's a new Medicare for America plan being introduced in Congress, and Beto O'Rourke is running on a version of Medicare for America, but a distinction, I believe, and I uh, maybe it, I'll, I'll correct this in a future battleground Wisconsin if I'm wrong about this, is that if you if you use if you go for Medicare, that if you're an employer or an individual that that, that decides on Medicare, right, or someone and all the people have access to this Medicare plan, uh, then you end up with a public Medicare plan and Medicare for America, but but companies could keep their private insurance plans if they wanted to. They'd just be a lot more expensive, so they wouldn't have an incentive to do it. They'd be instead, but in this case, you have this uh, Medicare Advantage-like thing where there will also be these private insurance plans, and there's another option where employers could try to get their insurance plan certified as Medicare-eligible and therefore available as part of this new Medicare plan, I think it's a, I think it's less public than Medicare for America, Matt, uh, because of that. But I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. Uh, there's just a lot of concern that uh, that Medicare for America might have eventually, without outlawing private insurance, put it out of business. Whereas this gives it a permanent line of business within the Medicare program. Yeah, and that, Medicare Advantage itself is seen as a threat to Medicare because they're using a lot of marketing practices to get seniors to sign up for it, even if it's not to their advantage, and then there are issues with it. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say, just listening to it, Robert, that was sort of my take on your initial, that this seems something short of Medicare for America, but definitely, and definitely not what you know, she was originally raising her hand for, but certainly um, something that would be a market improvement over anything that, say, Biden is putting out, but certainly better than uh, the status quo. So um, it, it puts Medicaid in this, so and it requires states to keep paying. Um, it, it requires employers to keep paying for their portion of health care, but they can be they can be part of this Medicare system. So it is a far more universal system than the current system, and it is a more public system in the sense that straight up public Medicare is going is one of the is one of the options in this plan. The question would be over time, does keeping the fox in the henhouse, so to speak, the insurance industry, does that make it get compromised in how it's passed in a way that disadvantages public insurance, which is the cheapest, does it undermine the cost containment we need to do because the simplicity of a public Medicaid plan, setting the prices, negotiating position, drug prices, et cetera, that's a critical factor. Insurance companies do a terrible job with that, and they don't have an interest in doing it. Um, and it does, do they become like military contractors where the whole thing comes uh, starts to be about funding insurance companies for their political power rather than doing what we need, which is to make sure health care is a fundamental right. So having said all that, it is less of a it – is, it is not the gold standard Medicare for all, just as the public system would be, but it is a huge advance over the current system. It's very bold. It would be very hard to, pa hard, to, um, hard to pass. And so I would have to say that it puts uh, Camilla Harris on the bold side on health care and way beyond what President Obama or, or Vice President Biden are proposing, but does not go as far as, as Warren or, or um, 
Sanders, obviously, go. And the question is, politically to some degree, Matt, whether you're better off uh, campaigning on the gold standard or whether you're better off campaigning on what's already a compromise kind of the silver plan. Yeah, Robert, you know, it reminds me a little bit of what uh, Mayor Pete had to say last night. Uh, It doesn't matter what what we trot out policy-wise, they're going to call us socialists anyways. So, you know, if you've got something that uh, might as well have something that cuts through, certainly in a Democratic primary. But totally understand this is her plan. And, Robert, we really appreciate you taking time away from uh, the busy... Uh, board meetings uh, to tell us a little bit more about it. We will talk more about her next week in depth uh, when you join us back with Rebecca. But we got to wrap up this uh, Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our guest, Sachin Chetta, for coming on and talking with us about the redistricting and the end around that the Republicans are up to. But we'll be back next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>